1: welcome to Kynos Project. I'm Dale. I am Tamara.
0: And we're here to help you tackle ancient truths in everyday settings. Well, if you are a regular listener to the podcast or you've read some of the stuff that we've written on our website, hopefully it is clear to you that we are pro-life. We think that any time an abortion takes place, it it is both uh, an evil and a tragedy. Um, But it's kind of an interesting time to be part of the pro-life movement. Because ever since the fall of Roe v. Wade, the debate over abortion legislation has actually become a very live debate. And it was before, but it's an even more live debate because now legislators actually have power to write robust laws about abortion. And so uh, across the United States, we've been seeing all kinds of. Uh, legislation uh, about abortion, and it's really been kind of a diverse kind of a thing uh, because in some states like Texas and, you know, in other conservative states, they have written laws that restrict access to abortion pretty significantly. Uh, you know, you've heard of like the heartbeat laws and things like that. And then you have other states like California and others, actually not all of them liberal states. Some of them are red states that have done this. Uh, They have actually uh, amended their state constitutions to guarantee abortion access. And so you really have both ends of the spectrum. And the unfortunate reality is that the national abortion rate has actually been up since the Dobbs decision rather than decreasing. Even if you go to a place like Texas, it has plummeted. Uh, it, it's kind of made up for in states like California or Illinois or other places where abortion access has increased and advocacy for abortion has increased and, in like, you know, education on how to access one has gone up as well.
1: Which is actually really interesting, considering you would think the opposite would happen. Right. But uh, this even goes back to other podcasts that we've had, that it's not necessarily legislation that's going to um, drive the um, perception of abortion and the the desire for people to actually follow through with an abortion.
0: Right. Well, when you go to a place like Texas, the legislation is pretty effective at plummeting the rate. Right. But when you look at America as a whole, by and large, um, a majority of Americans are still in support of exactly. at least some access to abortion. And I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm saying that that's re- the reality. The consensus is, We should have access to abortion. Right. Um, And so you go to places where there's a real red conservative pocket, a pretty large one, like Texas. And that's not the case. But nationally, um, we're kind of still losing the battle for hearts and minds in terms of the abortion conversation.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so the battle is waging between the pro-life movement and the pro-choice movement. But at the same time, and this is kind of the interesting kind of squishy part there is another battle waging within the pro-life movement itself. And you have at least two distinct philosophies that have emerged in the last couple of years. On the one hand, you kind of have the mainstream incrementalist uh, pro-life movement that has kind of been representative of what it means to be uh, a pro-life advocate for you know the past five decades. Uh, and on the other side, you have this new kind of Uh, abortion abolitionist movement gaining steam. And so these two groups, they would both agree that the optimal situation in America is that there would be few to no abortions performed, but they disagree on how to get there and what they even think is moral or immoral uh, in terms of means in the path of trying to get there. So they disagree about what the legislation against abortion should look like and who should be penalized or not penalized and how they should be penalized in the event of an illegal abortion. So I thought that we would focus in on that kind of question today um i certainly don't consider myself to be aligned with the abortion abolitionist position but i do think that they raise some questions that uh, i believe are worth uh, exploring wrestling with and discussing so that's what i want to do today but we'll dive into that in just a moment
1: What happens when a writer and former history teacher goes toe-to-toe with his best friend, a nationally touring stand-up comedian? Total carnage, that's what. Two men enter, and two men leave, because that's how it works.
0: (laughs) Actually, you get hilarious, real, and insightful conversations about life, history, culture, faith, and everything in between.
1: Join me, comedian Johnny W., and my pal, author, and speaker, John Driver, for Talk About That at lifeaudio.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ. So today we're talking about anti-abortion advocacy and the different forms that it takes. And on the one side, you have the traditional mainstream pro-life movement that in many ways has been leading this conversation for the better part of 50 years. Um, And then you have this kind of newer a little bit more radical anti-abortion movement called abortion abolitionism. And both of these groups would be considered pro-life kind of broadly speaking, although abortion abolitionists kind of reject that term in terms of they don't want to self-identify as that as that, because they see themselves as somewhat against the pro-life movement in this abolitionist movement. Uh, but both of these groups, they agree that you know the end goal is that abortion rates would be as close to zero as possible in America, and they both are advocates for seeking to use means that are both legislative and um, a means of public persuasion to get to that goal. But how all of that looks is very different across those two groups. So I thought we would tease out um, that difference, what uh, abolitionists uh, believe kind of in contrast to mainstream pro-lifers. So what do abortion abolitionists believe? Well, when you look at the mainstream pro-life movement, what you'll see is that there's this long tradition of what has been called incrementalism. And what that means is that uh, within the pro-life movement, advocates, they've kind of long worked for small victories in the right direction. And so this is I'm just kind of pull pull an example out of a hat that you know, probably isn't even you know an apt example, but just for the sake of argument. So, if like legislation was passed that reduced abortion access from like twenty weeks to uh, ten weeks, that you know they they took away ten weeks in which abortion access would be available. Pro-lifers in the traditional pro-life movement would see that as a win because that's going to reduce abortions. Or if there was a wait period instituted on abortion access that, and and that ends up in a, an overall reduction in the rate of abortions they would see that as a win. They say there are less abortions today than there were before because of this legislation that was enacted, even though there's still way more abortions happening than we would like. We're going to take that small victory. It's incrementally going in the right direction. Uh Conversely, abortion abolitionists, they would not see that as a win. Uh They don't even see heartbeat bills, which reduce abortion access to like five weeks. They don't see that as a win. Um And that's because they see those measures as like, Morally compromised. And the reasoning behind that is because when uh, legislators, and by extension, the voters who elected them, when they agree to these measures that reduce abortion access but don't outright ban abortion, uh, the abolitionists, they argue that we're kind of giving tacit approval. We're kind of giving uh, implied approval to abortion in certain instances because we signed off on the bill that says it's okay until this number of weeks or it's, it's okay after this wait period. And so we're conceding that in some instances, abortion may. Uh, be appropriate, and so abolitionists they they advocate for a total outright ban on abortion from the moment of conception, and they're kind of like it that's it that's the only thing that 's a victory, and there are like absolutely no exceptions for that, even for rape and incest, uh, although some would say that there is an exception to save the life of a mother, but then there's like this whole like semantic argument that. They get into over like what an abortion actually is, so they, would, they wouldn't consider a procedure that saves the life of the mother while losing the life of the child to actually be an abortion, even if it's, medically speaking, exactly the same, uh, but that they still wouldn't say that that's an exception. They would just say that that's not an abortion. So there, their whole thing is no exceptions. From the moment of conception, there are no exceptions to the outright total ban on abortion. It is outright ban or bust, And so they reject the incrementalism because they say that incrementalism is uh, morally bankrupt because you are conceding that abortion is still okay in certain instances. So that's kind of a big philosophical difference there. What's more is that abolitionists, uh, they not only want to ban abortion, but they also want to criminalize it. And so uh, that goes for the doctor who is administering the abortion as well as the woman who is receiving abortion Uh, the abortion. And again, that's a pretty stark contrast from the mainstream pro-life movement, which has traditionally uh, proposed uh, legal penalties, sometimes criminal, but not always, but uh, legal penalties for the doctors administrating abortion. Uh, But they have always described the woman receiving the abortion as a second victim, that the first victim is the unborn child. And then the second victim is the woman receiving that abortion. And that's because of, as we've spoken about Uh, Many times all of the social and uh, a lot of times economic pressures that are typically pushed uh, on a woman that would push her to the point of considering abortion and then carrying it out. However, abolitionists, they argue that the, the the woman, she's an adult, she can make her own choices, and so she's morally culpable, and she has murdered the infant child in her womb, and so she should get rung up on murder charges. Uh, and they'd say that that is the only morally consistent way to see it, that both the person who administered the um, abortion and the woman who received it, uh, that they're both up on you know murder charges uh, because... To kill an unborn life is the same as murder. And so we should treat that with jail time. Uh, We should treat that, you know, the way that we treat a criminal offense that is the wrongful taking of a life. And then there's kind of like one more um, key difference between the pro-life movement and the abortion abolitionist movement. And it's that the, uh, the abolitionists are, are a little bit more expressly religious in every aspect of their advocacy. And what I mean by that is that kind of by contrast, uh, while many, if not most, uh, pro-life people, you know, kind of in the mainstream pro-life movement, uh, most of them are you know, deeply motivated by their Christian faith. However, they tend to use non-religious moral reasoning in their advocacy against abortion. And that's because they want to build as broad of a coalition as possible, not only across different Christian traditions, but anybody like non-Christians, uh, Muslims, atheists, agnostics. Uh, Whomever uh, they want to use, kind of a a non-theistic moral reasoning, kind of rooted in you know natural moral order, to make a compelling argument against abortion, so that they can build that that broad coalition. On the other hand, the abolitionists uh, they they don't really like that approach. Uh, They see uh, ending abortion as a subset of their primary mission of proclaiming the lordship of Christ if that makes sense. So there's like, our first thing is we proclaim the Lordship of Christ, and that's our, our duty as a, a movement. And then below that, or a kind of part of that, part and parcel of that is instructing people that they need to end abortion. So they don't necessarily argue for the end of abortion on the grounds that it's morally reasonable to ban abortion or reduce abortion. They argue to end abortion because that's what God told us to do uh, when he said, thou shalt not murder. And that's kind of like their their platform rather than this kind of moral reasoning. It's like, nope, God just said so, and so you have to submit to the Lordship of Christ on that. And so uh, the way that they want to change hearts and minds is not by morally reasoning with people, but by uh, evangelizing them and converting them uh, to the Christian faith, and then instructing them on the basis of biblical authority uh, what God says about abortion, and then ending it that way. And so this is kind of like in line with the more uh, Christian nationalist view of political theology, in which people kind of believe that the laws of the land should not only be congruent with a Christian sense of justice, uh, but should be explicitly uh, affirming of the Bible and that kind of being regardless of how religiously diverse our nation is, that we're not going to write laws based on moral reasoning that is revealed to us in Scripture, but we're going to do it on kind of the the hard-set uh, authority of Scripture and let it flow from that, from a public policy standpoint. Does that distinction make sense that I explained that well enough? Yeah. Um. And you know, to be sure, the the quote unquote Bible that Christian nationalists want affirmed is actually just a specific interpretation of the Bible, uh, which is you know most often informed by kind of Anglo Protestant traditions that are unfortunately often laced with white supremacy. Um, and so, just I'm not a saying minor that, detail, yeah, yeah just, <laughs> just just as a by that in there. Just. and and I know I don't want me to be clear here because I'm not saying that all or even most abortion abolitionists are also Christian nationalists. That's not the case. Um, However, it is to say there is a Venn diagram there because of the the moral reasoning that is involved, that we don't uh, engage with society on the basis of common, shared, uh, natural revelation, moral reasoning. We say, this is what God said. Therefore, you should submit to the Lordship of Christ. And that's the only moral reasoning that we need. Right. So that's kind of the, the difference in the philosophy and the thought process. So off the bat. Tamara, what is your initial reaction to uh, kind of learning about the abortion abolitionist position in contrast to the more kind of mainstream pro-life viewpoint? Like, what do you like about it? Um, What about it troubles you or leads you to have more questions?
1: Yeah, I think um, the questions that they raise or kind of the moral issues that they raise in regards to who should be held accountable for the taking of a life. Uh, Like, how far down the line are we going to be tracing that is it the doctor um plus the even the state right because they allowed it to happen so like as we look at who should we be accusing and who should we be holding responsible for the taking of this unborn life um they really go far as like everybody involved should be held accountable right and when they say held accountable like it's talking about um going to jail like it's Mm -hmm. it's talking about actual uh like prison time we're talking about
0: felony charges yeah yeah
1: so you even think like how how much are we going to run down that line of thinking is it even down to like the person who runs the marketing for the clinic is it like how how deep are we going at trying to find somebody we're accusing Uh, or holding responsible for taking the life of the unborn child. Right now, it seems like it's everybody who has any part to play at all. I think they would probably
0: argue that it would be the person who administers the abortion, uh, the woman who received it, and maybe perhaps um, some kind of accomplice role by the the father of the child. I don't know that they would extend it much further than that.
1: Mm, That's good to point out because— like just listening to it, it seems like uh, the idea is let's hold everybody responsible that we can. And um, before we instantly just write that off, I think it's good to wrestle with it. Like, if we really understand the value of life um, to be not only the one that's existing inside of a womb and the one that's existing, you know, earth side, uh, if we value life equally, um, if a two year old is killed, what happens?
0: Yeah, right. Who's held charges, responsible? Obviously, the person who killed them, right?
1: Right. Um, And and let's say it were some... And I don't even know the policies related to if it it's something that can be tied to a medical error or malpractice that caused the life of a child to be lost or the life of a person to be lost. Like, is that doctor held responsible in some way? Do they serve jail time for malpractice? Like, I don't know... The laws enough to say you can mirror them and so this makes sense. Does that?
0: Well, if it was just a, uh, a medical accident. Right. Then uh, typically it's uh, a fine paid by their malpractice insurance. And, you know.
1: And that's it. And yeah. if
0: it's bad enough, they get fired. And if it's like, you know, criminally negligent, mm-hmm. very rarely would they get. Um, would they catch charges for that? It would yeah. have to be like, you know, the burden of proof of like, it was intentional or mm-hmm. it was like, it was just so negligent that it was to the point of being criminal.
1: Yeah. Off, like, I am not a politician. I am not somebody who is trained or has any kind of expert knowledge in writing policy. And this is the kind of like nitty gritty details that you get into when it comes to who is accountable for what. Um, But from, The lens of uh, this is the biblical way to view it, uh, I do have a difficult time with it because it sounds a whole lot like legalism to me. Um, And it sounds a whole lot like we're missing um, the nuances that exist within the daily life of people Um, and to just view it in such a black and white, right and wrong and not take into account anything else that goes into this very complex topic of abortion. Um, from a biblical standpoint, it just reads a lot like legalism to me. Um, but with that said, I want to make it clear that um, it is important that we, we talk about these kinds of things because if we really say we value human life we really say that matters to us, then it means wrestling with some of these difficult conversations. Um, Just because something is legal, just because something has existed within our culture and our society for so long that it doesn't feel wrong anymore, um, doesn't mean we treat it uh, as anything other than what it is. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, And so that is where I am wrestling. Like, how far do you take this? How, um, like, who is held accountable? I'm not sure I have the right answer for that. I'm not sure I have an answer that even sits comfortable with me. But what I do know is that this approach only looks at the value of life from one side. Hmm. The unborn child. Yeah. Which matters, but you stop caring about the mother. You stop having any kind of empathy or compassion or mercy. And as I think about the life of Jesus and the way that he interacted with sinners, I think about people who were in the wrong who made choices that they weren't supposed to make that were very clearly against the laws of the land that were morally wrong, um, that were just blatant sin. Uh, And I don't necessarily see Jesus approaching it from this very legalistic standpoint, not to say the law didn't matter to Jesus because scripture is clear that he came to fulfill the law Mm -hmm. like that matters. But as we think about one-to-one life and how do we engage with these things, the um, abortion abolition movement would then look at a woman in the face uh, and only see her as a murderer. Mm -hmm. And that is a bit more of the tension for me because, again, I'm not a policymaker. Um, I think policy, it, it doesn't have the opportunity or the benefit to look at people individually. But as Christians and as we advocate for things, we are allowed to stay within the nuance more. Um, and just the language and, and the the mentality used behind this, I think you, you end up just looking at a mother um, and calling her a murderer because um, of all of the things around her that pointed to the fact that she should have an abortion. And again, we have to remember that we're living in a society that, that is not redeemed by Christ. Um, it doesn't mean as Christians we don't try. We don't try and like have influence. We don't try and continue to um, move in ways that we can, whether that be uh, politically or even just locally, To um, show people the way of Christ and to actually exemplify that is not like, oh, well, everybody's sinners. So let's just live among them and do what they do. Uh, We still have to be the light in the midst of the darkness. But it's just it's a slower process than um, let's wipe it out and let's call everybody murderers and send them all to prison. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Those are my initial thoughts. You for my initial thoughts, and those are all of them. <laughs> yes.
0: Uh, I wanted to kind of drill into some of the moral questions that kind of surround this um, and see if we can't paint ourselves into a moral corner a little bit and just kind of ex- grapple with exactly how complicated morally uh, this is, especially when we start looking at it legally. Um, but we'll dive into that in just a moment.
1: Looking for ways to stay positive? Brighten your day with the free Story Behind
0: podcast. Hear weekly short stories that showcase true joy, love, and hope. Listen now at lifeaudio.com or by searching for Story Behind, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so I want to ask us some really difficult questions. Please don't. And then just kind of swim through the muck to see if we can... Uh, make it clear as mud. Uh, So uh, abortion abolitionists uh, and uh, even some mainstream pro-lifers, they argue that abortion is morally equivalent to murder. And in the case of abortion abolitionists, uh, they believe that it should be prosecuted and punished as murder. Would you agree with that, disagree with that? Or uh, is there a shade in the middle that where you would fall?
1: I appreciate you starting off with the easiest questions first. Uh, it's what you do. Thank you. It's a gift.
0: I just want everyone to know, I send her these questions ahead of time. It's not like Uh, I'm just like, gotcha.
1: Yeah, but there's still hard questions. Um, Even thinking about them ahead of time, it's still, like, I feel like it's going to take me years to release it with some of these questions. Um, Yeah, so if we understand murder by its definition of the taking, the premeditated taking of a life, um, then this fits that definition uh it is the taking of a life, and it wasn't an accidental taking of a life. it was intentional. the decision was made um but I do think because of where we sit in society and the the approach that has been taken over centuries really um to where it's not approached as murder and it never has been within our country um But by definition, it is. So my hang-up is not whether or not we call it that or whether or not we identify it as what it is, but it is then what kind of punishment should be given. Is it equal to somebody who uh, walked up to somebody else at the grocery store and stabbed him to death? Mm -hmm. That's the tension that I'm sitting in, is the kind of punishment that needs to be administered because of this choice that was made. Even though we live in a society that for all of my life has deemed it as a not murder. Yeah. Yes, it's just a medical procedure. So when you when you think about somebody making that decision, are they labeling it as murder? They're not. Because it's just a choice that you get to make. It's not a life yet based on what they say. And everything that you're told is this is just, like you said, a medical procedure. So if somebody is following and understanding that kind of thinking, and then all of a sudden they're charged with murder. I don't think that's fair. Um, But truth is truth. And it is the taking of a life. It's the premeditated taking of a life. And by definition, that is murder. I just The tension that I hold is then in the nuance of it, um, of what led somebody to make that decision. So if you walk up to somebody and stab them in the store, you know full well that was murder. Right. There's nobody trying to... Or
0: manslaughter at the least yeah, if they're having some kind of psychological break or something.
1: Right. Yeah. There's no framing of that any other way. Abortion is very unique in the fact that it has been sold to the public, again, for all of my existence, as just a medical procedure that you get to make the choice. It's not even a life in there yet. Like, Even though all that's wrong, um, that's the way that has all contributed to the decision that somebody has made. Because they're not seeing it as murder. So, um, yes, it is murder. Should somebody be punished in the same way? I don't think so. I think it's not that simple.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think I arrived there in kind of a different way um, that um, is still kind of working itself out in my brain and I might back away from at some point. Um, But I think – so I would say any abortion at any stage is the wrongful taking – of a life that would have eventually uh, resulted in a person, um, a living, breathing human person. Um, But I do think that there's maybe a distinction between uh, like a zygote and a newborn baby in terms of there's no viability there. um, It's still... uh, Fragile and may not even survive, even if it's it's let alone. Um, it's not developed. Um, it doesn't have human features yet. But I, you know, from a Christian perspective, I know that there is no kind of you know moral There's, line in yeah. which you can't say that that's not not a life. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but I'm saying from like just a, a like a I don't know a legal definition or whatever it might be. I do. I think we do have to recognize that it's a unique um, situation. It, especially in the earlier terms of the pregnancy where um, could you make a legal argument that it's akin to uh, taking someone who is not viable off of life support um, or something like that I think once you get towards viability so then that's where I'm like well I don't know there could be some wiggle room on like that I think once you get to to viability and particularly in the third trimester of development um, if it's not murder it's something pretty close because mm. You have a C-section, take that baby out. That's a baby. Right. And so um, I do think that there is some kind of scale there, at least from a legal punishment standpoint. I would be much more apt to say, like, there is some kind of criminality in uh, a late-term abortion, particularly Mm. in the third trimester. Whereas in the earlier stages, I'm less convinced that uh, a criminal charge would be um, appropriate. Um, Not because it's not morally wrong, but because I do think it's ambiguous enough um, that I I don't feel as confident about putting a criminal charge on that as I would in uh, late-term abortions. I do think that they should be illegal Mm. in the early terms. And I think that there should be, um, for the physician... Uh, certainly uh, whatever penalties that they would come up with, whether it's, you know, fines, losing your license, whatever it might be, um, all of those kinds of things after an investigation had been done that it wasn't, you know, for, you know, the medical purposes of protecting the mother or, you know, whatever else it might have been,
1: right. um, you know, all
0: of ruling all of those yeah. things out. If it was just an elective early stage abortion, I think that that should be illegal. I don't know if it should be criminalized. I think a late term abortion, you could definitely criminalize and I wouldn't lose any sleep over that because you C-section, take the baby out. That's a baby. If that makes sense.
1: It does. It does. But I think I would push back on trying to put a timeline on it if if you're going to be comfortable with it being criminalized at all, I don't see how you can create a distinctive marker of first trimester. It's not a criminal charge, but then one week later, it is.
0: I, I'm for me, probably the the marker would be like viability. Hmm. Set a set a you know a term of whatever number of weeks is the average viability. And I would say it goes from Ill- illegal to criminalized. Hmm. Yeah. And I think that, that so that's imperfect. That's like not adequate. Right. Um, but I think it's better than a proposal of like fully legal or like fully criminalized. You know what I mean?
1: Hmm. That it's- but if it is, if we're operating in this world where it's illegal at any stage, then Should it not be criminalized at any stage? Like if you're already comfortable with that being the case, what is the difference in somebody making that decision eight weeks versus 20 weeks? Yeah. As somebody who's making the choice, Mm -hmm. what like the choice is still made either way. Yeah. Right. So is it just that, well, I didn't really identify it as a life yet, so it's fine. I think that's kind of just becoming a slippery slope.
0: Yeah. I mean, it might be, but in just, in my mind, a zygote is fundamentally different than a viable eight months unborn child.
1: Yeah. But you didn't get, you stopped that life from having the opportunity of growing because you can do that on any point of the spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. Like, let's just say you have, um, a preterm baby who thanks to technology we can continue to keep that baby alive in an incubator, mm-hmm. um, but that life is worth saving, even right. though it didn't make it to whatever marker that allowed this baby to live outside of the womb on its own. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I just have a really hard time putting any timeline on it because. You don't actually know. what Was it one day too soon? One day too late? Like that becomes really challenging in practicality of where are you drawing that line? Right. If you're just going on an average, like each life independently matters.
0: Well, yeah. But I'm saying on either side of that line, it should be inaccessible legally. Right. Yeah. But am I actually going to bring up criminal charges?
1: Yeah. Hmm. I think it's well, more it's high-handed because, to
0: a level of criminality in the later stage.
1: Right, because at that point it becomes a little bit more like a no-brainer, right? Yeah. With so your, I think,
0: yeah, an in- increasing mm-hmm. level of consequences the later it gets. But so it should be illegal happens, the whole time.
1: Yeah. I, okay. I understand for the sake of this podcast we're not trying to sit here and like <laughs> write policy. Uh, and so but if I
0: was king of the legislators, if you
1: were king of, and I knew yeah. how to
0: speak legalese.
1: OK, so that's where I just don't even feel <laughs> adequate to dive into that, because then what happens to somebody who. It's it's illegal in, you know, eight weeks, but they they went and had an abortion. What does legislation look like for that? What do you mean? If it's not criminal, then what is it? They just get a fine. You get a fine for
0: yeah it would be like stopping
1: a s- life from existing
0: yeah whatever kind of
1: i don't know that just doesn't uh i can't
0: well i well this leads me to my next question okay um so should the mother uh be punished or penalized for receiving an abortion so there was a law on the the uh on the docket and i believe in florida that would have if a woman participated in an abortion they would ring her up on capital murder uh, along with the person who uh uh perform the abortion. Do you think that that is in bounds? Um, because we know, statistically, certainly there are impoverished women who either feel or were actually forced into an abortion. Um, but then we also know on the other hand, and I would say that's a majority of the cases. That's, you know, that is contributing to much of abortion. And we know that because every time there are uh, new uh social programs that bring up the bottom end of things through healthcare, through welfare, whatever it is. Abortions. What do you know? They go down. Uh, so we know that that is a cause and a factor. But we also know, like, say, a, a wealthy white woman with plenty of family support who just has an elective abortion because she wants to. Uh, there's those two kind of different cases. Um, uh, but are there tears in terms of like moral culpability? Um, and is there a way to actually legislate that where we see the impoverished woman as a second victim, but we see the um, wealthy person with plenty of support as criminal? How, Like, is that a, a double standard or is it better to just not penalize the woman? Because we know more often than not, the woman is the second victim. And that's just kind of the limits of our, our ability to legislate that.
1: I don't know how you legislate it. I think... Uh, that's the difficulty of this conversation is I can say um, there is nuance between the differences of the two women because uh, like context matters and the reason that led them to making that decision matters. And I think that's why every time I come to this conversation of abortion um so often we want to lead with legislation and policy but that doesn't actually fix the reasons why women are either forced into having these because of whatever relationship they're in or manipulation they're they're sitting under or just the system or, like
0: the systemic yeah, injustice that exists.
1: Right. So there's so many other issues that if we start there that is going to actually get us to the end goal that we want to be at. Which is, let's okay. Uh, I understand that if you clip what I am about to say out, it's going to be really bad. But I, dude, we're canceled after this one. We're just all we're canceled.
0: from the pro life people, we're canceled from the abolitionists. No, because I think if you
1: in an (laughs) ideal situation, not in an ideal world, right? But uh, presumably, you could have abortion be legal, but. The systems and the beliefs within the culture have been shifted so much towards what Jesus intended them to be that no one would ever choose to have an abortion.
0: That's conceivable.
1: Do you get what I'm saying? Like, Uh sure, legislation, whatever. That doesn't even matter because nobody's even going to have an abortion because they just couldn't even fathom having one because we have actually transformed communities.
0: Yeah, but you know how you get to that point. Legislation as well. It's community engagement. Yes, it's it's individual responsibility. But uh, at the end I of the day, the system legislation is the system has
1: to do something. Right. I know that, but I'm just saying. But in terms of social to, programs, to say this to is corrected. this is the start and the end point is just legislation. And then if you don't abide by legislation, now we start criminalizing people. Like that is viewing it from the wrong standpoint. It should come alongside it, but that is not the uh, silver bullet.
0: I wouldn't say it's the silver bullet, but I would say it's an essential component sure. that whether you are uh, legislating abortion access itself or you are legislating around the other issues that affect abortion rates, um, that that has a, you know a very large bearing on the overall
1: Right. Uh, no, I know. I know it matters because abortions. we're not living in an ideal world that everybody operates on love and kindness and grace. Like but I know. I, that. But I,
0: but we should be but, engaged in our communities around helping uh, crisis pregnancy centers, um, right. a- addressing the the poverty in our own cities, the unhoused population, like all those things. Yes. Yeah, because you have and also else, legislation.
1: Right. Because if if the majority of the reasons or the majority of the stats show us that women who are most likely to have an abortion are in low income, are not in stable, you know, homes with um, a steady stream of income with a roof over their head. Like if, if all of these other factors are like the majority of the type of woman who ends up having an abortion, then we need to start fixing all of those things that center underneath that. But then I understand you can still have somebody who has all of that available to them and they just think, I don't want to have another kid. Right. It's legal, so why not? Um I know there's a percentage of people that that is the true case. Um but if we're really trying to reach this end goal of eradicating abortion, um the the bulk of the work starts with the bulk of the people that are actually having abortions and and all of the um scenarios that happen around that.
0: Yeah. Would you uh, agree or disagree, or how, how would you respond to the claim that kind of the mainstream traditional pro life movement is morally compromised for being incrementalists? Because they would say we weren't incrementalists on uh, slavery. We aren't incrementalists on murder, or, you know, murder's illegal and you need to go to jail or rape or whatever it might be. Uh, but is that an apples and oranges kind yeah, of situation? Yeah, I don't
1: think that's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, the reason why is because. Um, there's so much unknown about the life of a child that's existing within somebody's womb. Like when you have Thankfully, to explore
0: metaphysics to understand the moral complexities of something, yeah. you don't have to deal that with murder or something. And
1: here's the thing too, is it's only as science continues to get better that we actually understand what's happening within, within the stages of life growing inside of somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's say we didn't have any of that technology, what would we know? Like, how would we even go about describing or talking about the the moral complexities that we're sitting with? Um, technology has actually <laughs> enlightened us in a way that adds to the moral complexities because we know more. So now we're like held responsible for that knowledge. Um, but that's why I think it's an apples and oranges conversation, because when it comes to Uh, slavery or murder, it's very blatant sitting in front of you, like face to face, eyeballs to eyeballs that this is wrong. Where even as somebody who is, has been pregnant with three children, um, like my own process of, I don't feel pregnant right now, Mm. but I know I am. Like I know there's a life inside of me. Um, but honestly, day to day, I don't feel any different. Like I, you start feeling that later, but from the moment I took the pregnancy test, it wasn't like instantly, all of a sudden I was very aware of this life growing. Like I could feel this life growing inside of me. I didn't start that until like I could feel the movement or you see the physical change in your own body. So just having been pregnant and experiencing like oh yeah, I'm pregnant. Like, that's so exciting. You know, like three days after taking a pregnancy test, having to like remind myself, oh, I'm pregnant. Wow. Like this is a whole like big life change. Um, but I, that, all that to say, I think this is an apples to orange conversation. Um, and I do think when it comes to something like this and because it is so counter cultural for us, um, We do have to take the incremental wins and we have to count them as wins. Right. Yeah. Because let's say somebody, you know, like how many lives were not aborted because the law was pushed back, right? Like instead of at any age, you can abort. Now we're going to push it back two weeks. Great. However, many women are no longer able to have an abortion because of that reason.
0: Right. Yeah. So I think
1: the incremental wins are wins because of the complexities of the situation.
0: Yeah. So it's a little bit more pragmatic. It's results driven in yes. terms of like we're driving that number down any way we can. Yeah. As opposed to uh, a very kind of yeah. ironclad principled, yeah. all or nothing. Because kind of you have prob-
1: like because of these wins, because of the change in legislation, lives have been saved. Right. Lives have been saved, so is that not a win?
0: By the thousands and the millions,
1: does that not matter? It matters. Right. Mm-hmm. And if we if we want to even just go back to, like, each life counts, right? So one life saved matters. Sure, we want all lives saved, but do you just think about if if the legislation um, changed? and it resulted in one life being saved, I think that's a win.
0: Yeah, because for us, that's the whole thing is we don't care what the law actually looks like if it's resulting in less abortions. Whereas the abolitionist would say, no, you're signing off because it's still legal over here. And so you're morally held responsible for that. So I would just disagree with that because um, maybe we're just overly pragmatic, but I think it's okay to be pragmatic in this situation because that's what's going to result in less abortion. So um, I think an all or nothing approach isn't necessarily going to help us a lot. Uh, one last question kind of before we, you know, completely get ourselves canceled from everybody. Uh, so many in the um, abortion abolitionist movement, uh, many of them that I've listened to, they've simultaneously disagreed that we should also advocate for greater social safety nets and uh, more robust welfare programs. And many of them, they kind of tend to think that we have either enough of that Or even uh, too much of that already. That's kind of the general consensus within that movement. But, however, hang with me. Let's say that that was flipped. And someone was advocating for, let's say, ultimate high accountability when it came to abortion. Let's say criminal prosecution for the person who performed the abortion and the person who received the abortion. Uh, But also was advocating for extremely robust safety nets, social safety nets, social welfare programs. So addressing healthcare. All the things that we know drive the demand for abortion down, they say we are for all those things. And because we are going to put robust legislation in place to bring up those things to, that we know decrease the demand for abortion, we now feel confident that we can put the highest accountability on if you choose that anyways. Would that be enough for you to say, yes, I'm in on the abortion abolitionism, or is it still too a little draconian in your mind,
1: um, I think that uh, if that were the mindset and philosophy, um, I could get on board with that because it then is dealing with all of the nuances. So, let's say you had all of these great social programs that were, you know, helping women who were in difficult situations that felt an abortion was the the only option in their life um or let's say they were just in an abusive relationship that, you know, the person they were with forced them to go get it or you know, whatever the scenario could be. All of these additional programs could help that. So that kind of leaves the the last person scenario is just somebody who blatantly doesn't want a child. Um and they decide they're going to go through with this. I do think um that is the kind of person that becomes easier to view this in like a very black and white legislation view um, because at that point uh, it's just like an inconvenience for somebody to have a baby. Um, So yes, I, I do think I could get on board if the thought behind this was far more robust at actually dealing with the reasons in which abortion rates are so high and trying to find solutions to those, and not just the what is resulting of all of those things.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think right now, like the kind of tenor of the movement is like, um, if you get an abortion, you should go to jail. Um, and if you got an abortion because you didn't see a way out, you know, economically, like, well, we should come to church because we preach that fathers should take care of their kids, and you should have personal responsibility and all those kinds of things. And if not, you know. That's your problem. That's kind of the general... It's just like, kind of
1: a lack of care yeah. for the whole of a person. Um, And I do think sometimes we label people or create categories in our mind that assume um, that most people are having abortions simply because they think children are inconvenient. um, And that is a, a small, small percentage of the people that are having an abortion,
0: they, they do exist,
1: absolutely, and I've in considerable met, number, but I in have, proportion
0: to the others, it, it's. it's I not I have the main. met
1: uh, two women in my life that have shared they've had an abortion. Um, they were, you know, they already had four kids. One of them, she already had four kids. Her and her husband were really well off financially. They had, you know, everything that you could think of. Um, was great in their life and you just didn't see any kind of uh, hardship that you might lead them to have an abortion. But um, I was talking with her and she's like, yeah, we just didn't, we accidentally got pregnant and we just didn't want another kid. Like our family was good. We had four kids and we didn't want any more. So we had an abortion. Um, and so I think too often um, people within the, the pro-life movement in general categorize all of the women as this particular example right and this particular example is out there but the percentages are far lower of reasons why an abortion is had based on all of these reasons
0: mm-hmm. yeah so as you guys can tell there's a lot of moral complexity here Um and i think uh, the abortion abolitionist movement, what it tries to do is it tries to create a real sense of moral clarity uh, and even a moral a simplicity uh, and consistency uh, within that moral complexity. And I think that that's an admirable goal. I want to say that. However, I don't think that it's always possible to do that um, to create such a moral simplicity While at the same time pursuing the highest form of justice like true justice can be very complicated and a lot of times you're like because we live in a fallen world you're not exactly sure when you've got there and it's kind of like trying to make it more just but you don't know what the perfect justice is because you know we're we're broken people working within a broken system Um, but that doesn't mean that we don't have any moral clarity. Uh, like as we said at the top of the episode is any time an abortion occurs, it is both an evil and a tragedy It's an evil because that was the wrongful taking of a life. Uh, and it's tragic, you know, basically for the same reason. But it's also tragic because of the circumstances that often surround that decision. And so uh, we want to have compassion for that uh, while also at the same time standing up for the unborn and calling for a greater sense of justice uh, for children who uh, are in wombs. Uh, and so what's the best approach uh, from a public policy standpoint? Uh, we are not quite sure, as you might have uh, gathered from you, this discussion.
1: You might have gathered this is not our expertise.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's just you know, it's very <laughs> complex. Um, but I think we should at least have the goal of reducing the abortion rate, regardless of what that takes. Right.